Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of episode 149 of the Lunch Pell Guys podcast. I'm here again with everybody today. Got Lucas, Jared, Bart, Wyatt, and Aiden. We're going to talk a bit of baseball today and some sports culture talk. Uh, to make it sound pretentious. <laughs> uh, but as usual, we're going to start out with some news we missed. All in baseball again, which is a, a new thing for this podcast, but it is October. Uh, so to start out, the Mariners made the playoffs, breaking, what was it, a 20-plus year streak? 2001, 21 years. It's only 21 mm-hmm. years. When the Jamie Moyer, shout out, uh, my hometown. So, yes, yeah, shout out Souderton, uh, was the had the most wins on that team mm-hmm. for a pitcher. Yeah. It also and must be Mariners noted clinched. they won on a... Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah, the Mariners clinched on a walk-off homer. And it just seemed like an absolutely wild moment. So I'm very happy for, for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like they're a very likable team, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And then, which meant temporarily that the Phillies had the longest playoff drought, but then they ended it like three days later. Oh, and really? They also clinched the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think I find it shocking that the Phillies had the longest or even close to the longest playoff, playoff yeah, drought. Yeah, that seems... I forget how bad they've been the last yeah. decade or so, but they were so good in the 2000s. Or like the like, you know, 2005, now? 2010 kind of time. I saw it today. I think it's the Tigers. Or yeah, that, I that believe checks that. out. The Tigers yeah. have been really yeah. bad. Verlander hasn't been there for a bit. So <laughs> the Tigers, I also forget, were like really good earlier, yep. like ten years ago too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They made a World Series, right? Yep. Yep. By the way, not yeah. only did the Mariners have the longest MLB playoff drought but in all four major sports they had the longest drought that that now goes to the Sacramento Kings so classic have fun with that one <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and half Sacramento the teams make Kings the playoffs stat. in the NBA too more than half so that's that's true that's yeah so exactly that's crazy that is worse <laughs> nothing makes me as livid as though the refs rigging the Lakers Kings series Kings fans <laughs> deserved the King, it Kings should have won title <sighs> Here. Oh, there's a there's a the same like docu docu series that did the Manta Teo thing did one on Tim Donaghy right and like all the crooked rafts. Uh, I gotta watch, watch that. Mm. This is mental check mark for me. <laughs> yeah, I also have not watched it, but I've thought about it before and been like, ooh, I should watch that. So. Uh huh. Next, <laughs> we'll regroup <laughs> next week. Keep scrolling. <laughs> I actually have something to say about it. Tune in for Film Club next week. We'll really discuss <laughs> the Tim Donaghy doc. <laughs> Okay, and our other baseball news we missed this week, or today, the day we're recording, Aaron Judge hit home run number 62. He finally broke Roger Maris's AL home run record with only one game remaining at this point in the season. He was really cutting it close here, but he did it, despite a lot of people, I feel like, pitching around him anyway. He almost chucked Aaron Judge. Um... I texted my grandmother, who's a huge Yankees fan. Wow, he hit number 62 or something like that. And she texted back, I never liked Maris. So I don't know what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm sure I'm happy for her, too, that he no longer holds the record. 
Is Maris like a controversial figure? I did not. <laughs> That's in my grandmother's life, apparently. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we're now going to move into our MLB segment. We're going to do some fill in the blank, uh, where I say something followed by a blank, and someone has to, each of us has to insert our answer to the question, specifically centered around the MLB playoffs theme. We're going to start out. The most intriguing matchup in the wild card round of the MLB playoffs is blank. Bart, who do you have? You talked about the Mariners earlier, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that going. Why did I know that you're gonna have the same answer as me? I like the the Mariners Blue Jays matchup, uh, and I actually have a few reasons for this. Um, <laughs> for one thing, it's the battle of the American Canadian border. Well, it's one of several <laughs> potential battles that could have happened for that, but I, I like that. That'll that'll make some fun uh, trash talk. For another. You mentioned the Mariners not having been in the playoffs for 21 years, so I think that's really cool. But the Blue Jays also haven't, like, they haven't been good in the playoffs recently. They haven't won a playoff series since 2016. Between them, a team hasn't won a championship since 93. So both of them are just going to be, like, very excited to win this round, whoever it is that wins it. But then also just, like, in baseball terms, um, the Blue Jays have elite hitters, I saw, while the Mariners have one of the best pitching rotations in the league. Um, and then it's also interesting because the Blue Jays are the higher-seeded team, but they are 2-5 and five against the Mariners this year, and they are on a five-game losing streak against them. So the lower-seeded Mariners might actually have the advantage in this series. So if the Mariners, who just broke their 21-year drought, can win and get to the next round, that would be really exciting. So I think this matchup is cool. Wyatt, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm going strictly with the Mariners because they're the hometown team. Uh, you know, it's been a long-time drought, and, and that gives me good vibes going into this is that a team that finally kind of breaks to the, to the other side going to have a lot of momentum going forward. So I used to love the Ray or the um, the Blue Jays for no reason whatsoever when I was a young baseball fan. And because the Mariners are now a hometown team, I get to see two teams that I didn't think would be here actually play. So there we go. Go Mariners. Bart, I saw a, a, an article with the headline that was like, should British Columbia baseball fans be rooting for the Mariners or for the Blue Jays? <laughs> I know that's pretty funny. I love that. Just withhold your, your choice until after the series ends. Right. Yeah. I've been saying it for years. Bring a team to Vancouver. Okay, they, they need one. They're, we need they're one dying down here. For one. Vancouver, Washington. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Before Portland, they'll bring one to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, that would be, be pretty funny. It'll, it, It'll be how, like, the Giants and the Jets play in New Jersey. It's, like, the same idea. Yeah. That's true. They'll play in, like, <laughs> in a different state. Yeah. No, that's literally the same thing. They'd play in a different state. But uh-huh. they'd be the Portland or, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Next up, we got the wild card team that's most likely to make a World Series run is blank. Lucas. I do want to comment before I give the answer that this is, like, the second week we've discussed Oregon geography in the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's always fun. But to actually fill in the blank, uh, I'm going to say the New York Mets. Uh, Aiden, I don't know. <laughs> I know you've probably been scarred by this. but And I know the Mets did their thing and collapsed away the NL East this year. Um, but I still think they have the best shot of any of the wildcard teams to make a run. Let's just start looking at overall record. They're very close to being a 100-win team, even they if they don't... Officially. They are a 100-win team. Okay. They're winning 8 to nothing versus the Nationals right now, okay. so they're going to be a 100-win cool. so team. They're going to be a 100-win team. They were at 99 this morning. I'm like, they'll almost certainly be. 
teams that won 100 games are good baseball teams. And though they've had like a bit of an epic collapse, let's not forget, again, they won 100 games. And even since August 1st, you're, so you're talking like the relative short term, the last two months of the season, the pitching hasn't been great. They have the highest opponent batting uh, average in that time, I think. But the hitting uh, has been not bad. They have the second highest batting average behind the Phillies, the fourth most RBIs, the second most hits. They're still a good hitting team. So, do, listen, do I think the Mets are going to win it all? No. But if I had to choose one of the wildcard teams to make it out, I think the Mets, being a 100-win team, batting pretty well over the last two months of the season, have a good shot of doing it. So, Aiden, yeah. what do you think? I'm not going to pick the Mets. <laughs> I'm over the Mets. <laughs> the Mets ruined my weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're certainly the most accomplished playoff team, but... If that's how they play in big games, especially when they're like the whole thing the Mets have been hanging their hat on this year has been the fact that they have DeGrom and Scherzer and Chris Bassett, who was elite for most of the year. All those guys were pathetic in the Brave series. And so if that's what the Mets are gonna do when the, the moment comes to them, I guess like I can't I can't have faith in them. Um but but yes, they're certainly the most accomplished wildcard team. I'm I'm sticking with the party line of the Mariners here because I think the AL is a bit more open than the NL. In the NL, I don't really see teams getting past the Dodgers and the Braves. That seems like a lot to ask. Um, the, in the AL, the Astros are great. The Yankees have been streaking a bit more of late, uh, but they've shown some vulnerability, and I feel like besides that, it's it's pretty open. Um, and, gener- and also in general, I think the Mariners have been good against the teams they'll likely be facing in the playoffs. They're five and two against uh, the Blue Jays, who they face in the first round. They're four and two against the Yankees. The record against the Astros isn't great, but it could be worse. Uh, so, I feel like given that their rotation is so good, and given that a playoff rotation where they kind of cut down on the slack and have Luis Castillo and Logan Gilbert and Robbie Ray, like that's a pretty, pretty scary rotation to face. And so, I think they could potentially make a run on the backs of those guys. Um, in a you know fairly open AL, if the Astros happen to kind of choke. Okay, we're gonna move on to the breakout star of the playoffs. Will be blank, Jared. I'm gonna go with a homer pick here. I'm gonna say Logan Gilbert on the Mariners. Did I get this idea from an uh, MLB article about potential breakout stars? Yes, but I did do a little bit more research here. Logan Gilbert, his his uh, alter ego apparently is Walter, which is a very fiery character because Logan Gilbert is a very calm character. But the reason I'm excited for him is in the what? MLB postseason. <laughs> what? What? What does that even mean? I don't know. That's that's his alter ego is Walter. Walter the. Here here we go. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing about that makes any sense. What? What? Nothing about what makes sense? <laughs> and what the hell kind of name is Walter? As like your that's alter his alter ego. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he the thing that's exciting about him is he really turns it on in September. Uh, since in his starts since uh, since September. He's given up one run or fewer in all but one start against the Royals where he gave up five. And in the MLB postseason, it can be valuable to have 
a starting pitcher that is um, on his game at that time to to help not rely on your bullpen as long as much because you are going to in the playoffs. I know that the starting pitcher's um, innings pitch usually decreases in the playoffs. So if you have somebody like Logan Gilbert pitching deep into a game, that is kind of a way to gain a little bit of stardom, I guess. Um, if you like pitched eight innings, for example, which probably won't happen, but a seven-inning game I think would be pretty good. Um, and yeah, he's been turning it on in September, so I think he's got a good chance of being a breakout star. Hmm. Bart, for breakout star of the playoffs, who you got? I am going to stay in the pitching vein. Uh, I'm going, based on my limited baseball knowledge here, I'm going Spencer Strider of the Braves. Um, he's a little bit of a cheat code because I did see his second favorite odds in the NL to be rookie of the year there. But I still think it's a fair pick because he is a rookie. But like the long and short of it is that he's already very, very good. And he's on the Braves who have a good chance to make, you know, make a run all the way. So he's potentially going to get a lot of airtime but like he since the all-star break he has an era of 2.2 11th best amongst qualified pitchers and he's seventh most strikeouts amongst qualified pitchers uh with 88 so like the braves just got themselves an elite pitcher as a rookie so he has been injured for some of september but the reports are that he'll be back for the playoffs so hopefully he can come back and be healthy and continue dominating so i'm excited to see what he can do yeah. yeah, Bart. I wanted to say Julio Rodriguez for my pick, but he's gonna he's going to win the AL Rookie of the Year. So I was like, yeah, yeah. that's not breakout yeah. enough for me. Hey, if someone's second, then second, yeah, second's loud. fine. Yeah. <laughs> second, then. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Spencer Strider and his stupid mustache. He is very good. I'll, I'll give you that. I'm not biased at all, you know, in this in this conversation. Uh, but okay, the team with the first round buy that's most likely to be upset in the division series is blank. Wyatt, the New York Yankees. You know yeah. why? Because it just feels mm-hmm. too good to be true. To be honest, anytime anyone ever has like so much momentum, like wow, look, he had sixty two. He's the triple crown winner, and this is not just like an anti Aaron Judge take. I like Aaron Judge, but <clears throat> when it comes down to everything about how like good they are. And how fantastic of a season uh, an individual player is having. I would most likely bet that they're not going to win the World Series that year as well. I don't think I, I can ever remember a truly fantastic season ending. I think even Patrick Mahomes' 50 touchdown MVP season, like he didn't win the Super Bowl that year. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen a lot in sports, and I don't think it's going to happen for the Yankees. Lucas? Yeah, I agree. I also think the Yankees, if for no fact other than I think there needs to be some sort of cosmic punishment for Aaron Judge interrupting every college football game over the last <laughs> yeah, two weekends or yeah. whatever he has in at that. I love him to death. I love the Yankees, but that was annoying. But beyond that, uh, the Yankees have struggled in the second half of the season since August 1st. Again, the last two months of the season, what I'm sort of using as like a proxy for med- short to medium term performance. The Yankees have been a mediocre team. Their win percentage is only 50.9%, 509. Um, and that's behind teams that missed the playoffs, like the Angels and the Cubs. In that same period, they're in the bottom half, um, an opponent's batting average against, their own batting average, RBIs, and a lot of other really important measurable stats. Um, I think it's a lot about getting hot at the right time, always doing well in the baseball playoffs, and the Yankees have just, well, they've been a little streaky lately. They kind of sputtered the last few months of the season, and so I think for that reason, I think they're the most likely to be upset in the division series. Yeah, yeah on the on hey, the yeah. ESPN cut-ins, I saw 
<laughs> saw some tweet. I think it was Roger Sherman, who was like, "I was I was in the bathroom taking a dump when an, an ESPN announcer just knocked my door down and t- let me know that Aaron Judge was at <laughs> was up to the plate or something like that." <laughs> it was super funny. And then he and then yeah, they like Aiden. I think Aiden or Bart was saying he they just pitched around him. He didn't even swing. I think like that entire day. <laughs> It was hilarious. You'd sit there and watch him like on a three-one count, them throw a ball like essentially an intentional walk, and yeah, he'd walk to first base, and they'd be like, "Okay, now back to Ole Miss versus." <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, but okay, closing out, we got the the biggest question of it all: the team that will win the World Series is blank, Jared. I think the team that will win the World Series is the Houston Astros, actually. Um, they've been probably the most consistent team throughout the year. They have a really good pitching rotation um, at the top of their rotation, and they're also a pretty veteran team, and they've been there. I mean, a lot of their teams been there pretty much every year at this point now. Um, so I actually do think it's going to be the Houston Astros this year. Uh, Aiden, what do you think? I'm going with the Braves. Pains me to say it, but you know they start out weak. Since June first, they're seventy seventy-seven and thirty-two, which would have been on pace for one hundred fourteen wins over the course of a whole season. They just feel like they've got the momentum at this point, and they're a deep team, a deeper team than last year when they won the World Series. They've got a good rotation, as Bart mentioned. Spencer Strider is pretty elite, especially for a rookie. Kyle Wright is the only twenty-game winner in the MLB this year. Max Fried is a perennial Cy Young candidate. And their lineup is so deep. They've hit 241 homers this year, which is only five back of the Yankees and far above the rest of the league. And a quarter of the Yankees' homers are coming from the same guy anyways. Uh, so that, like, all around they've got power. So many guys who can hurt you. Michael Harris the second, who's the guy who's actually going to win Rookie of the Year, it seems like. Austin Riley, Danzy Swanson, Matt Olson, Like, Ronald Acuna Jr. is, like, an afterthought at this point, I feel like, in their lineup because of how good it is, so... I feel like good pitching plus home runs is a recipe for postseason success. So I think they're going to take it this year, as painful as that is as a Mets fan. Yeah. yeah. Maybe next year. <laughs> Maybe next year, exactly. One of these years. Yeah. <laughs> if we spend enough money. Um, <laughs> that's probably not, so, yeah, that's probably not yeah. the problem. <laughs> Moving on, our, our last segment of the day is going to be sports truisms. So things that are so obviously true that it's not even worth saying them, or things that we think are so obviously true that they're not worth saying. Uh, we're each going to go through and nominate one, discuss it. Uh, Jared, we're going to start with you. Yeah, I noticed this during the Thursday night football game, which is when I first brought this idea up. But it's just a given that the first offender that arrives on the scene after a punt is always going to miss. He will never make that tackle. If if he gives, if the punt returner has like five-ish yards of space at least, that first guy will always miss. You, literally, the punt returner can just stand there, wait for the guy to come to him, and just pick a direction. That guy won't make the tackle. It just never happens because they always come in with a full head of steam. They don't break down and you know and get there. And probably if you do break down, the guy's just gonna outrun you. So I wonder if they just teach you to like. Just pick a side, make them go the way, make them go the way that the rest of our uh, kick re- kicking unit is at, and force them that way. I don't know because I swear I don't think I've ever seen that guy make a tackle. If he has five, if, if, if the punt returner has like five yards, he's not making the tackle. I don't think I've ever seen it. 
and it's so easy too it's just like a single step to the side from the guy, the guy <laughs> yeah it's, it's crazy <laughs> they just fly by it's crazy so it makes punt returning seem so fun to me but then i see when the guy doesn't have five yards and he doesn't fair catch and he just gets knocked out cold and it's like okay yeah, yeah, yeah maybe tough. i don't need that <laughs> and you can ruin the game by dropping a punt like dropping a, a pass you're not you're probably mm-hmm. not gonna ruin the game if you drop a punt like you could just absolutely ruin the game yeah, and I it never doesn't happen like infrequently either. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like you, you like relatively frequently like have a negative effect on the game in a noticeable way. Mm-hmm. Just tough. Also, there aren't that many. I feel like great punt returns these days anyway. No. So it's almost like worse risk than reward. <laughs> Special teams isn't what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Devin Hester, we miss you. I was going to say, that's the the last name I could think of that was considered like a special teams specialist <laughs> was uh, Devin Hester. Yep. After that, I don't really know. I guess I don't. Tyreek Hill. Is he? Does he return punts? <laughs> he was. That's what he was drafted for. Okay. So. Oh, that's funny. Okay, Bart, what you got? Uh, I'm going to take it over to the NBA. I'm saying my given in modern NBA basketball is that NBA superstars will complain about no calls incessantly, every possession, every game. To me, this has become indistinguishable from modern basketball. Like, they are synonymous, and I think it's probably my biggest gripe about it. Like, it's so common. You can, like, I looked this up. There are YouTube compilations of players (laughs) complaining about calls. There are articles I saw breaking down the psychology of why players do this. Like, it's that common. And maybe it always used to be common, and now it's just easier to see because uh, everything is, you know, broadcast and saved to social media or whatever. But it just bothers me so much. Like, I understand I understand the psychology of it and why you want to, you know, influence refs. And I understand that players might often think that they were wronged. But, like, it's so much less fun as a fan to watch basketball when you see, like, LeBron sit on the defensive side of the court and complain to the ref while the other four guys are getting back and playing defense <laughs> and then they give up an easy bucket. It's just terrible. I, I feel like it just always, always happens every single game. You, you see it all the time. So that's, that's something that rubs me the wrong way. I agree. Luca, Luca, I, as much as I love him is terrible about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he's like one of the worst offenders, I think. I mean, there's not a whole, a whole big opportunity cost if Luca doesn't, you know, run back on defense. It's not like he was going to do much. <laughs> hey, anyway, man, Jason so. Kidd. <laughs> Jason Kidd had him playing some some new styles, stuff he hadn't seen in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff that hadn't made it across the ocean yet. Yeah. It hasn't but... made it there yet. Okay, Wyatt, what do you got? Uh, no defender will ever pick up a loose ball on the first try. I switched mine from that one. <laughs> um, oh, God. I, uh, I was watching, I think, Sunday. If there is a fumble on the ground, the first guy to go and dive for it, will it'll hit him in the face, and it'll <laughs> roll across, across the floor like it's a bar of soap. Um, it, 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 I've never seen – like, it's supposed to be a live grenade, and you just jump on it, and it still will just slip right out and just roll another five yards back. And then sometimes even the second guy doesn't get it. Most uh, mm-hmm. f- fumbles seem to be the hardest thing for anybody to recover, and especially if you're that first guy, just know that you're knocking it five yards backwards. Yeah. The ball, the way the football's shaped, like you just never know where it's gonna roll. Mm-hmm. It, it's so irregular. Did, did they design it that way for fumbles? Yeah. <laughs> Later in and the punt year. returns. <laughs> exactly. If you drop it. They designed it for chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Lucas, 
What's your truism? Mine's another football one, and I'm going to go with the fact that bubble screens and jet sweeps never score touchdowns and are really never, ever good play calls outside, like, the five-yard line, maybe. Even though I've said many a time that the jet sweep is the most electric play in all of football, I think it is rarely, (laughs) if ever, a good play call. I don't think I've ever seen it succeed. And I remember talking to Jared a lot at Notre Dame football games about this, that, like, jet sweeps and bubble screens, like, almost never do anything. Um, So, yeah. That's my truism. I don't think I've ever seen, like, a bubble screen be successful outside, like, the five-yard line. Certainly not at Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to succeed on that play. (laughs) You know, I think they're so electric because, especially on a jet sweep, it's because the guy is, like, running, and he runs way around, and then you're like, man, that guy is – he must have ran 60 yards. And then you look up, and it was a three-yard gain, and it's like (laughs) – it looks like they're moving. But then all of a sudden – you know, nothing really came out of it. Well, jet suites at least have the guy moving. Bubble screens, your man is just standing still, and you expect him to, you know, accelerate. Or moving away from the yeah. ball. <laughs> and look, I understand the idea <laughs> of getting your off. playmakers the ball, but, yeah. I don't know. It kind of worked a little bit when they were running it with Cooper Cup uh, on Monday Night Football. They did have a couple successes. But they only scored, what, like, they didn't three points. No touchdowns. No yeah. touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> Everything works with Cooper Cup, though. <laughs> That's true. A general Nine exception. To... Okay, I'm going to close it out. My truism is the first base coach is a glorified equipment holder. Ooh. And I think that, let's be honest, like the first base coach does not really do much post Little League. Their main function at the major league level is to hold the shin guard and the elbow protector and whatever else the runner happens to be wearing. The internet was trying to tell me that the first base coach is responsible for timing the pitcher's time to the plate Hmm. for the purpose of stealing. I think that's handled by analytics teams these days. There's no (laughs) way that's not a a thing that hasn't been outsourced or is handled by someone manually clicking a stopwatch. Um, They don't need to give directions on the base paths since the batter has just as good a a view of the field as they do. I feel like their most crucial responsibility is yelling back yes. on pickoff attempts. That's that's an important job. Um, but, you know, it's unfair. The third base coach gets the fun stuff. They get to do most of the fun sing- signals, you know. They get to wave the runner home. The first base coaches mostly just hang out. And if I were a frugal baseball team, that is what I'd cut. If I were the Oakland A's front office right now, I really hope you're listening. Because, you know, my advice could save you whatever money you pay first base coaches. Though it's it's the A's, so the first base coach probably gets paid in like tips, you know, when the, the runner gets there, they have to tip the first base coach or something. Um, but I really think they're just a pretty symbolic figure. I disagree, Aiden. They also not only do they yell back, they yell like a book when they read when they read him right when they read it right. They also when a runner is running a first and it's a bang bang play, they do a safe to influence the, the umpire. <laughs> Or, or if they like appeal, they appeal down the first baseline. He also does that too. Jared, I've Influence. thought about a controlled experiment before, <laughs> where you like have, you know, just a runner timed at the same time hitting first base, and it looking almost like a tie. Like one case, the first base coach does nothing. One case, the first base coach does the safe signal. I'm pretty sure that has an impact. That I think it does. Has, like some psychological impact there. Mm-hmm. I, I would. I would book that. Anyway. Certainly in games, certainly in games where they don't do video replay of it, it's it's got to have an impact. Yeah, yeah, true. I guess video replay kind of 
kind of ruined that technology is ruining the first base coach it's ruining the game of baseball exactly we shouldn't be timing this we shouldn't be timing their their time from uh the mound to the plate it should be feel one mississippi two (laughs) yeah exactly all right that was 1.3 mississippis to the plate so uh all right thank you everybody for tuning in uh we appreciate listening, and we'll see you again here next week. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and on all our social media at underscore lunchpail guys, at TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next week.